Hey there, you beautiful weirdos. Welcome to Scaring Sam, a weekly horror podcast where I subject my wonderful, ever-patient fiancé to scary movies, testing the limits of her nerves and likely our relationship, in hopes that one day she will come to love and appreciate the horror genre as much as we do. <clears throat> no, I can't get that up. I like to call it exposure therapy for cinephiles. We're your hosts. Sam. And I'm James. And happy Turkey Massacre Day to our Yankee cousins across the <laughs> pond. Turkey Massacre. <laughs> we may not celebrate Thanksgiving here in the UK, but I think we all appreciate the idea of an extra Christmas dinner a month in advance. <laughs> I could sink my teeth into some pumpkin pie right now. That's not an innuendo, you sick puppies. <laughs> what better way to bring the family together on this joyful occasion than a good old-fashioned exorcism? Mm, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, James. Well, stuff the turkey, skin the potatoes, purge your mother of a dead witch. <laughs> Eat your greens after. This week we're discussing 2013's The Conjuring, directed by James Wan. Before we dive into the episode... Let's summarise the plot. In 1971, the Perrin family move into an old Rhode Island farmhouse and are soon terrorised by escalating supernatural experiences. In desperation, they reach out to renowned paranormal investigators, the Warrens, played by Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, in hopes they will bring an end to the affair. So, Sam, what did you think? Well, <laughs> um, I was scared. <laughs> Sam was scared. <laughs> Success. Uh, I was hiding behind my hands quite a lot on this one. It's not something I'd like to admit, actually, that I am that scared that I'm hiding. With that noted, do you think that it makes a difference how scared someone is going to get watching a film if it says it's based on a true story? I think Hollywood thinks that's the case. I mean, this obviously dates back to the Amateurville horror in the 70s where that made a lot of moolah. And since then, I think Hollywood has been sniffing out any story which they could stamp on the based on true events premise. If the audience watches this and even a slight hint that it could happen in real life puts them on a bit on edge. What about you, though? Because for me, when we're starting to watch the film and it says it's based on true events, I was just like, oh, that's that's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it really then gets me thinking, like, what part of this was actually based on the true story? So how do, how do we know with this film? Like, what bit was real? I used to believe everything I read, you know, ghosts, yeti. UFOs, when they used to have these documentaries, all these books, they used to just gobble it up like, ooh, the alien autopsy, ooh, photos of the ghost on the stairs, whatever, blah, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Ooh, the exorcist is based on true events, you name it. It was like, oh wow, gee whiz. Do you know what? I, I thought um, fairies were real when I was younger. And um, I took a selfie once and thought I could see a, a fairy in the photo. But what it was, it was just a light had, I don't know, it had blurred and made a, like a fairy outlining. 
But I convinced myself that it was a fairy. <laughs> See, if this was like one of those Ghost Hunter TV shows, they'd be going, oh, look, it's an orb. This mm. is pure evidence that it's a ghostly presence. No, it's dust. <laughs> it's a moth flying past the camera really close. But that reminds me of the girls who found the fairy at the bottom of their garden. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. I think they made a children's film out of it. Yeah, I think I've seen it, actually. But I think both those women, as they got older, they admitted it was fake or they started like analysing the photos and they were basically cardboard cutouts of fairies. What's wrong about Based on true events. Yeah. Does it make it scarier? I think for most people it does. You've got this idea that this happened in the world. All these people are fighting against demonic possession or ghostly encounters or they're abducted yeah. by aliens. And then it, it could pos- possibly happen to me. Like I said, <laughs> I watch these things and then second they have like a medium or a spiritualist. I believe in ghosts, but it's a stretch for me to believe in mediums. Okay. Well, I think we'll come to that a bit later. Yeah, should we get back to the film? Yeah, so let's let's go back into the film. For me, The Conjuring is an exercise in building suspense past the point it becomes overwhelming to bear. Mm. Sam was physically exhausted by the time the credits <laughs> rolled. <laughs> and it's earned its 15 rating with its terror alone. No need for gore, sex or swearing. The film is unrelenting. We start light. The haunting begins with clock stopping, duvet snatched away, doors creaking. And... Oh yeah, sorry, I'm going to pause you there. The um, It wasn't duvet snatched away, it was the fact that one of the kids had her feet out of the duvet. I personally, <laughs> I can't do that. Whatever the weather, I have to have my feet covered with something. Whether it's just a blanket or my thick winter duvet, I have to have my feet covered because I feel like something's going to grab them if they're not. For me, it's the feet dangling off the bed. Oh yeah, I can't, definitely can't do that. <laughs> the monsters are going to eat them. Yeah. So dangling off the edge, monsters are going to eat them, but bare feet just not covered up, something's going to grab them. And in this case, it did. And Yeah, it did. And that really freaked me out. But every time you saw her feet, I was just like, oh my God, she's going to get dragged <laughs> off the bed. <laughs> Go on, sorry. And it wasn't just like duvets being snatched away. There was this lingering whiff of farts permeating the air which apparently is an indication of a demonic presence, apparently. Yeah. Or it means James is in the room. <laughs> <laughs> they may be cliches, but James Wan knows how to use them to get the desired effect from the audience. He even made looking under the bed and behind doors scary again. Oh, yeah. When she was... Um, so this this is the um, the daughter that had her feet out. So... She starts to peer over the edge of the bed and that that was just a write-off for me. I was hands over face. I could not. I'm doing it now as I'm like thinking about it. Yeah, I just I couldn't I couldn't watch it because I just expected either something to just be there or something to pop out. And then she put her head completely over and looked underneath the bed and I was like, "No." No way. Stop doing that. 
because as I, I thought she was going to then come up and then as she came up, there would be something there, like on her bed or something. That would be quite good, actually. But it's always misdirection, isn't it? Every time mm. a character looks under the bed, they rarely see anything. Yeah, but it's the anticipation of thinking that there's something there that, oh, yeah, it was just, it was making me really tense. Well, I think it's reached that point where you could actually show something because the audience is now reaching that point where they're kind of expecting not to see something because it's happened so many times Mm. that having a character look under the bed and having something look back at them, that would probably be quite effective now. Do you think? Have you seen that before? I'm trying to think. Maybe in some J-horror they actually showed something. But in like Western society, there's always that misdirection where, oh, they're slowly looking under the bed... The dark's approaching. Are they yeah. going to see something? No. And then, like I said, it's always something after that point when they rise back up, maybe some, they see something. Yeah. As in the case this time round, she saw something behind the door. Mm. But it's great because we didn't see anything. No. There's nothing there. Yeah. So it allows but, the audience to use their imagination. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And my imagination just goes crazy. I was just like, you're looking into this darkness behind the door and I was like oh, there's got to be something there she can see it oh my god there is something there and there was nothing there <laughs> I feel like that harks back to the original The Haunting from the 60s where most of the scares come from using your imagination you mm. don't see anything in that film it's always behind a door it's always the use of sound and your imagination runs wild and you rarely see that these days in modern horror in some other director's hands, it would have been done badly. Because mm. this film is basically a mounting suspense, ever increasing, ever building. And then after the infamous hide and clap scene with Lily Taylor... Oh, no, I didn't like that either. <laughs> again, you was expecting something to come out of the dark. Yeah. Were well, you expecting a face? Yeah, I was expecting a face. But you didn't expect two hands... No! You didn't, see, you didn't expect a pair of hands clapping right no. by her face. Yeah, because we we first see that um, the hands come out of the wardrobe, don't they? So after that happened, I I didn't expect that the the claps would happen again in another scene. Oh yeah, that just freaked me out. Well, it's another thing. I this... don't like the dark, do I? <laughs> and they're clear these horror films, when done well, are feeding off that fear. Yeah, it's that rule of three, again done masterfully, as the parents moved into the house. They're playing a game of hide and clap. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. It's playful. They may break an ankle because they might be tripping over boxes. And then Lily Taylor's playing a game of her youngest daughter. And the spirit, the ghost of Rory, or, or is it Bathsheba, who leads her towards the massive wardrobe. And that's when you see the hands come out. Oh, yeah. And she thinks it's her daughter. And then finally, she's forced to play this rather malicious version of the game with this ghost and that's when you get that infamous pair of hands clapping right by her. Mm. So that's constantly amping it up throughout this entire film. And after that, before we can catch our breath, we're led right into that scene where Bathsheba first reveals itself right on top of the wardrobe. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I wasn't expecting something so soon after the clap. I say it doesn't give you time yeah, to recover. Yeah, it didn't give me time. I just, yeah, I wasn't expecting something on top of the wardrobe either. I'm looking at my wardrobe right now. Um, <laughs> Maybe one of your cats might be up there later going, feed me. 
<laughs> no, that's when they just pounce on you. They well, pounce well, a... on your head. Yeah, or my crutch while I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> but once again, it's another perfect example of great setup because you have one of the other daughters, and maybe we should have researched their names. We've seen her sleepwalk, we've seen her drawn towards that wardrobe, mm. and that leads right into this scene where she's sleepwalking again, the oldest daughter takes her away, puts her on the bed, mm. and then as she closes the wardrobe, the other daughter wakes up, sees Bathsheba before the audience does, and then the oldest daughter's gaze, we follow it right up to that face. Yeah. Oh. And this is all before the Warrens are put on the case, Ghostbuster style. Yeah. I just really didn't like it. I think you knew that though, didn't you? It's just getting closer and closer to you, like, protect me! <laughs> Wan is also the master of misdirection. On more than one occasion, he uses that music box to deceive the audience into a false sense of security. First time we get to see it is with the youngest daughter. Mm. And we wait and wait for the jingle to end, expecting to see the ghost in the reflection, only for the youngest daughter to go boo. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, this Which place... still actually made me jump, though, didn't it? <laughs> well, you was all tense waiting for yeah. the little boy ghost to appear. And then this pays off in a later scene in the basement, which Sam did not like. We're led to think any ghost will appear behind the use of the music box, only for... One to jump out on us right in front of Lorraine Warren. Mm. And it got too much for Sam when Bathsheba's hanging body burst from the ceiling. I think you got too scared you stopped writing notes at that point. I, yeah, I didn't really write many notes for this one, did I? I think the more scared I get or the more engrossed I get into these films, the less note-taking actually happens. So, really, the better the film or the more scary the film... The less I can say about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you think the parents may have done their research before moving into a incredibly haunted house. Mm. But apparently in Rhode Island, you don't have to reveal to new property owners the history of a house before purchase. So if a witch killed her baby and then hung herself in that house, the parents wouldn't have known before buying it. Great. Yeah. So you could happily go, oh, I've bought a murder house. It was really cheap on the market. Okay, so is there somewhere that we can find that out about when we're looking for houses? <laughs> yeah, that's I'd a good rather, point. Yeah. I'd rather not buy one. Because <laughs> I was joking the other day, wasn't I, that um, you were looking for a spooky house. But yeah, can we, um, can, can we find out if when we're looking that oh, it's... I'm sure it revolves around spending more money, though. Probably get a private investigator. Maybe not, then. Oh, OK. Have to have a spooky house. <laughs> yeah, it makes it more interesting. Mm, I like sleep. Anyway, a lot of the events take place at 3.07. Not in the afternoon, in the morning. As that's when Bathsheba was pronounced dead. Also, no one seems to sleep in this film, as they're always awake to witness these occurrences. But maybe they're getting woken up then at that time. Yeah, but then there's that scene with the Warrens. They're listening to that audio recording. Nothing's picked up, and then 307 comes around, and the tape begins to play on its own. But now you hear this ominous growling, or mm. some inaudible voice being played. 
freaky, that's what it is. In real life, the Warrens didn't take fees for their work. Commendable, right? Mm-hmm. But with nine books, consulting on films based on their experiences, busy giving lectures, not to mention running their occult museum, they weren't short of money. And since Ed's passing in 2006, Lorraine continued to serve as a psychic consultant on TV and film and oversees their museum in Connecticut. And one of the main criticisms concerning the Warrens is that there is hardly any concrete evidence regarding the hauntings they have been involved in beyond their word. Take the three examples brought up in The Conjuring. So you've got the main case that the whole film revolves around, and as is the case with these adaptations, events depicted in The Conjuring were exaggerated for entertainment. But Lorraine Warren and one of the parent daughters insist what we witness is true to real life. But... <laughs> Sorry, but people can't see the face that you just made. <laughs> oh, you mean my deeply sceptical face? Yeah. <laughs> The current owner of the allegedly haunted house uncovered a whole bunch of contradictions that the Perrin family and the Warrens attested were facts. Through her research, it's alleged that all the witchcraft, child sacrifices and satanic worship were all made up. Even Bashida Sherman, say that ten times, <laughs> wasn't even a witch in real life. So what was she then? I think she was accused of witchcraft and then was acquitted. Something like that. Right. So what actually happened? Do we know? Well, allegedly, everything else witnessed by the family and the Warrens happened. But there was no witch. No, there was a Bashida Sherman, but... In she real... wasn't a witch. She wasn't a witch. Okay. And I don't think she hung herself. Just added effects then. Hmm, bit of showmanship, I guess. Hmm. And perhaps the parents did experience terrifying supernatural events or they completely fabricated the whole thing. But facts are facts. Lorraine Warren stated her husband would never have attempted an exorcism since he wasn't a priest. Mm -hmm. And Andrea Perrin wrote a book based on her experiences in the house. It makes money, this whole haunted house malarkey. And then you got the Annabelle the Possessed Doe. Yeah, I didn't particularly like that bit either, because I don't like dolls. <laughs> well, you won't want to watch her film, because she got a prequel to The Conjuring a year later. Hmm. And it was shit. Oh, so maybe it'll be okay for me then. Maybe, but the prequel to that prequel, <laughs> Annabelle Creation, is okay. For starters, the real Annabelle looks nothing like it does here. It's just a unimposing ragdoll in real life. Mm, okay. If I showed you photos of it, you'd be like, oh, okay. So it was just made to look scary. Yeah, massively so. Well, the story goes, a nursing student got the dough from her mum and it was allegedly possessed by the spirit of Annabelle Higgins. And when weird shit started to occur, the student pawned off the dough to the Warrens who proudly displayed it in their occult museum. Ed supposedly warned visitors to... Be wary of it after the last person to mock it ended up in a motorcycle accident. Only, there's no evidence of any of this occurring. Right. <laughs> it's likely the whole Annabelle ghost story has been completely made up by the Warrens, and we just have to take their word as fact. Again. 
At the end of the film, Lorraine mentions a case in Long Island. Based on all the adaptations, sequels and documentaries, it's clear the amateurville horror captured the public's imagination. Not to mention it's been incredibly profitable. Do I sound really cynical during this section? <laughs> what we do know is true is on November the 13th, 1974, Ronald DeFero Jr. shot and killed six members of his family. This horrific event tends to get sidelined, a precursor for the quote-unquote real horror that followed, but it shouldn't be understated how disturbing this senseless act was. Seriously, how could someone murder their family? I don't know. I really don't know. A year later, the Lutz moved into the house for a steal because, you know, estate agents struggled to shift the property where a whole bunch of people were slain in. 20 days later, they fled, claiming they were terrorised by strange smells. Maybe they're farty smells as well. <laughs> Maybe demons are really farty. Nobody does. <laughs> Green slime running down the walls, mm. a pig demon with red eyes, a priest came to bless the house, and a disembodied voice told him to suck my balls. <laughs> suck my balls. No, he, he told him to get out. Demons lack originality <laughs> when it comes to threats. <laughs> After the Lutz abandoned the house, the Warren set up a psychic slumber party. Woo! Hmm. In the middle of the night, with a local TV crew in tow, despite presenting no real evidence, Lorraine stated the house was riddled with demonic entities, and his TV appearance established the Warrens as experts in the field of paranormal research, even though there was no real evidence. <laughs> You're really hung up on this evidence mm. thing, aren't you? Well, it certainly works in their favour, being swept up in the maelstrom of popularity surrounding this case. The Lutzes also profited from the story's notoriety. The Conjuring universe has grossed 1.9 billion worldwide. What? If we've learnt anything from this episode, it's faking a haunting can be quite a profitable endeavour. Apparently so. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should fake our own, make some cheddar on the side. <laughs> I love cheese. Mm, I love money. Of course, any horror movie allegedly based on true events, we have to take what we see on screen with a pinch of salt, or a lot of salt when it comes to the Conjuring universe, as numerous liberties have been taken for the sake of entertainment, even the fictionalised depiction of the Warrens' devout loving marriage, as reports claim. Which is a shame, because amid the supernatural horrors, it's the Warrens' love and devotion to each other, and their faith, is where the heart of the story lies. Ed Warren was a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, Lorraine professed to being clairvoyant. Personally, for me, spiritualists and mediums prey upon vulnerable people, grieving the loss of a loved one, desperate to have them in their lives once again. It's a disgusting practice which takes advantage of those at their lowest point, and these individuals who elicit such services are no more than cold-hearted con artists and charlatans. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about like spiritualists and mediums. I don't know if I believe that stuff like that can happen, that they can contact the dead. I, I don't know what to believe. But then I've never experienced anything like that. I've had like feelings of something or someone being there or like a good or a bad vibe in a house or something. But 
nothing more than that. We don't know what's out there. I'll be more susceptible into believing mediums and spiritualists if they weren't charging people for their services. I don't know. Okay, here's a good example. Houdini, when he was alive, Mm. was a massive debunker of all kinds of spiritualism and mediums when it was big, where basically the whole trend erupted in Victorian times. And him and his wife agreed that if one of them died, they would send a message back from the grave through a medium that only they would know. And when he died, his wife went to a whole bunch of mediums Mm. and none of them ever read back to her the message. But that doesn't mean that all of them don't have that talent. Maybe not all of them, but... All the ones that Houdini's wife went to. Mm. Who knows, though? But I think part of it is that if you can't see it, then you don't believe it. Well, I haven't seen aliens or ghosts in person. I mean, obviously, I've seen unexplained things. Mm. But I haven't seen a full-on apparition and I haven't been abducted in the middle of the night and anal probed. (laughs) I still believe that there's... Other life out there in the galaxy. Is it that you believe or you want to believe that there's something out there and we're not alone? (laughs) No, I think I believe it'd be too egotistical of me, too narcissistic to believe that we are the only intelligent species out there Mm. in the entire galaxy. We're all a bunch of dum-dums, we're all a bunch of shaved apes when you get right down to it. (laughs) Okay, so going back to like the spiritualists and the mediums, do we? Do you think that we are trying to hold on to life in a way and to then put the power into their hands to then try and get a bit of something back from a lost loved one? I think that life is short and we can't accept that this is the only time we have on this earth. Hmm. And... We want to know that when we lose someone we love, we get to meet them again down the road somewhere. Exactly, yeah. And I just feel that mediums and spiritualists are exploiting that need. They could be exploiting, but I think that sometimes, in a way, it could actually help people heal because they're getting what they want to hear. For the exchange of money, though. Yes, okay. But that's the same as going to a therapist. True. Well, going but to a I, doctor. I think therapists would be a lot cheaper. <laughs> but as you said, if the individual needs that kind of closure, then I guess I can turn a blind eye. Mm. But only within those circumstances. It's immoral, isn't it, to continue to take from people when all they want is to have a little piece of something back. But if someone like the Warrens could, like, step on the scene and resolve the issue and everyone leaves happily ever after, like this film, then I can get on board. (laughs) Should we wrap it up? Yeah, I think so. Sam, what is your verdict? Sam definitely scared on this one. 
Yeah, I don't know whether I'd watch it again because of how scared I actually got, but I think it's a definite watch. It's Yeah, definitely put this on your to-watch list if you haven't already. What did you think, James? If we ignore the based-on-real-life gimmick, James Wan has crafted a solid, suspenseful scare story that's guaranteed to become a classic of the horror genre in years to come. I was clenching my jaw at one point because I was so tense. And yeah, I even made myself get a bit of a headache. So scary, it'll give you a migraine. (laughs) (laughs) And on that bombshell, I'm James. And I'm Sam. And you've been listening to Scaring Sam. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Scaring Sam Pod. And you can contact us at scaringsampod at gmail.com. Stay Stay safe safe out out there tonight. tonight. Harley?